We, we cannot wait to see what God does during our time together. It's been an incredible weekend. We've had a lot of people get baptized, give their life to Christ, a lot of life change happen. And I want to tell you, if you're here and you're atheist or agnostic and you didn't want to be here, thank you for coming. Uh, we started this church, like I said, for you as well. And we have no expectations for you other. We just want to love you well during our time together. And I used to uh, get drugged to church like this on Easter Sunday. I keep doing that. Not like I was brought to church. You know what I'm saying? And actually, my parents are at the service. They want to wave over there. My dad's in the pastel green over there. It was a nice selection. And uh, I used to go to church. I hated coming to, to services like this when I was a kid. And even growing up, I just didn't get it. So if that's you, I understand. I used to sit as a young man with my brother in the back row and make spitballs and try and get him in uh, ladies' hairs during the service. So you probably aren't doing that, so you're already a step above me. But I hope that wherever you're at, that through reading through the story of Jesus' resurrection, that it might be a life-changing moment. I think God's going to do something in this service that he has never done in the history of our church. I don't know why I told even Mark Johnson uh, at the 9 a.m. service, I'm like, something about 11.30. And so I believe that by being here, you're at least somewhat familiar with the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that you are familiar with the Bible a little bit, even though you may not understand it all. And so you know that we're here celebrating the resurrection, that Jesus lived 30 years on the planet, then another three years of active ministry, teaching a group of teenage disciples how to follow him and be a good human. And that, that then led uh, to the gospel spreading all over the world because he was crucified, atoning for all of our sins, all of our mistakes, no matter what you've done, the guilt and the shame that you got in your life, he did it for you. And that he didn't just die, he rose from the grave on the third day. I'm going to assume that you're at least somewhat familiar with that. But what I want to do this morning is acknowledge the presence of God with us right here. Because I can preach and teach all day about the Bible, but if we experience God this morning, it guarantee it will radically change our lives. At 19 years old, I was a young guy in the fraternity house who was very far from God, and I experienced him after running away from him for years, and it so radically changed my life. Man, I've been doing ministry ever since. And I wanna talk about the God that radically changes lives this morning. We're also going to celebrate later, in case you didn't know. And so, are you ready to study God's Word together, church? Come on now. Come on now. It says this uh, in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. This is not... Mary, the mother of Jesus, this is Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute, who was demonic, and God, Jesus radically changed her life, and she became a follower of him. I think it's so cool that on the first Easter morning, the first resurrection moment, the first one there is someone with that background, because they knew what it was like to need him. We're going to talk about that. It says that it's at dawn, and another translation says that it, the, the sun was just rising. Another translation says that it was dark. So I'm guessing it's like that in-between period. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's dark out, but you can kind of see the light in the distance, but the sun isn't totally there yet. And these two young women, 
get out of their home in Jerusalem, out of the upper room where they're all hiding, and they go outside Jerusalem, and they go to the area where there's tombs are. There's no light to lead the way. They get there, and then something radical happens. Look what happens. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. Now, Matthew's the only one that records the earthquake when Jesus is crucified, and he also records the earthquake here at the resurrection, and we'll talk about that later. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Uh, that's my favorite verse in this whole passage, so I'm gonna break that down later. But, but here's what I wanna tell you. These first women, when they discover the resurrected Christ, they're not like, oh, this is so cool. Yes, he has risen indeed, golf clap. Like, they're freaked out. Everyone who experiences this new work of God gets freaked out. In fact, look at uh, verse four. The guards, these like seasoned guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Another translation says they actually died. We don't know whether they were actually dead or just like felt like they were dead, but it scared them so badly. And I wanna talk about when new things happen in our lives, a lot of times it ends up scaring us more than we think. In fact, uh, I, my wife and I, Lisa, we went to brunch recently in downtown Fishers. And you know, it's the year 2022. We're supposed to have flying cars by now. No flying cars. But if you go to downtown Fishers, we were sitting there and we watched this car drive by and there is no human being at the wheel. That we don't have flying cars, but we got an autonomous car in Fishers, Indiana, <laughs> driving around. And most of you, like a, a few of you tech people are like, that's so cool, aren't autonomous cars? Like, no, I was freaked out. It's like, no, we're all gonna die. Like, I'm gonna be out there, this thing's gonna wreck me, right? But we know that's not true, but like new things, they kind of scare us, don't they? And what happens here in this passage, the guards get scared, the women are even going to be afraid. Verse five, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So they couldn't deny that he was no longer there. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee to the north. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. I love this. Greetings. The first recorded words of Jesus of after he rose from the grave, when the women come out is, greetings, earthlings. Nice to see you, right? And then he goes, it goes on and says, they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, the disciples who are literally hiding in the upper room still to go to Galilee. There they will see me. They had just gone through the most devastating thing in their life. They had followed this person who was supposed to be the Messiah, give them the promised land back, rid them of the oppression of the Romans. And instead he was crucified, which is the most shameful way to die in their culture. They were so devastated, yet they go there in the morning. They find that he has risen. He's gonna present himself to the disciples. And the very thing that they were afraid of ends up being the thing that brings hope for all of humankind. And I want to talk about the thing, the new thing that God may want to do in your life that you don't need to be afraid of it. To allow him and invite him in. And at the heart of everything this morning, forget everything else, is that God 
is going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. But God goes where he is wanted. And we have a choice. Will you pray with me? God, pray right now that you would speak to us in a way that we have never heard before. That this old story would fall on fresh ears this morning that it might transform our way of thinking, that there are some of us who have been around Christianity a really long time, but we have never really given our life to you. We've never prayed to receive you, to open ourselves up to you. And we've acknowledged your presence here. Speak to us. Take my words away, God. Speak to us in a way that only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, you may be like, ah, I'm not afraid of a relationship with God. I, you're not just afraid of a relationship with God. We're all afraid of pretty much all relationships. Think about it when you start uh, dating, right? When you first date and you like get all nervous about what do they think, what do they think? And you like get that tension, you sweat a little bit. Like when I first met my wife, Lisa, who's here today somewhere, we were in San Dimas, California. Some of you know the story. I was in a TJ Maxx shopping for candles. Now, why I was shopping for candles, there was a reason. I was a young adult pastor. It was like on trend at the time. So I was buying a whole huge thing full of candles. I got a whole shopping cart of candles waiting in line at TJ Maxx. And all of a sudden, some woman behind me goes, hey, what are you, some kind of candle freak? I was like, what is going on? And I turned around and this woman who's verbally accosting me, not my wife, uh, she's like, what's with all the candles? I was like, oh, oh, well, I'm actually a pastor. And I, but she's like, you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, here it comes. And she's like, oh, well, we're Christians too. Have you met Lisa? <laughs> and all of a sudden she steps back and Lisa enters my life. Now, the best part of the whole story was the woman that, you know, was yelling at me in line that introduced us. It was actually Lisa's ex-boyfriend's mom, which is how God works sometimes, apparently. But I can remember after that, we, we connected and began to cultivate our, our, our relationship on MySpace. Somebody give me a holler. Come on. And uh, we, we got a meetup going. And so we met for coffee. And all of a sudden, like, it went from like, oh, who's this person to like, I was in love. And I remember this is a true story. I actually, from that initial coffee meeting in San Dimas, uh, I ended up, I went home and I wrote a song about her eyes. I'm going to sing it for you now. I'm just kidding. I'm definitely not doing that. I have done it before, though. The video's online. You can go look for it there. But... Uh, I wrote this song because all of a sudden everything changed. And then I started getting nervous because I was like, oh man, what if she thinks this? And what if she thinks that? And, and well, you know, what if I don't do this right or I do that wrong? And it was funny how we can be afraid of a relationship that we value so much. And see, we know that in our rela relationships with human beings that there can be fear involved in our decision-making process. And we have a choice. I had a choice of whether to face that fear and pursue a relationship with my wife or not. The truth is the Bible compares our relationship to Jesus like a groom with a bride. And that we have a choice of whether to respond his pursuit to us or not. That God goes where he is wanted and we have the choice of whether to open our soul up and soften it enough to open ourselves up to allow him in. And so if you're taking notes, I want to tell you the big thing this morning is do not be afraid of God. 
You need to fear God in a healthy, reverent way, but you don't have to be afraid of a relationship with, with him. Why? Number one, you need him. You need him. Now, a little side note, notice that the end is underlined. I'm going to come back to that at the very end. But you need him. Look at verse one again with the Marys. It sounds like a singing duo. After the Sabbath, so they waited after God's day. They come at the break of dawn. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. These were the, the women that knew what it was like to need his forgiveness and grace and mercy in their lives. Mary Magdalene, more than anyone else, had God cast out all of this guilt and shame and brokenness in her life, had radically transformed her life. She needed him so desperately. They were so broken by his death that the first moment in time that they could, the guy's still sleeping, of course, and the girls, they go out and they are there to offer things to anoint his, his body in the tomb. And then they get to witness and experience the whole thing that happened. I find that we all need God in our lives, whether we acknowledge it or not, that there is an emptiness or a hole that only God can fill. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I'm telling you it's still true. Because most of us, that hole, we try and fill it with all kinds of other stuff. Some of us fill it with busyness and achievement at work. Others, uh, we fill it with accolades academically and we explain away the reasons that we need God. Others of us uh, run away from God and choose sinful lifestyles, getting into lust and turning to drugs and alcohol as an outlet to avoid the real world problems that we're experiencing. Rather than walking through this broken world that is not as it should be, that God does not desire it this way and inviting him into it, the truth is whether we acknowledge it or not, we need him. And the women knew it. We need him because he has been, you know that God has been pursuing you since the beginning of time. Like, what are you talking about? Well, if God's omnipotent, he's outside of time, right? That he created the world and everything in it. And what did humanity do? Garden of Eden, they rebelled. The one thing they were asked not to do, you had one thing, they did it. And he cast them out. And he doesn't give up on them. He says, uh, the Israelites will be my people. I'll make your descendants as many as the sand of the seashore. And yet, what do they do? They still rebel against God as well. So he sends judges and they don't listen to them. And then he eventually sends the prophets and they definitely don't listen to the prophets. So finally, he sends his only son, God incarnate, Emmanuel. And then he is crucified atoning and covering up for our sin and wrongdoing, that if we repent of our lives and we open ourselves up, God will go where he is wanted. And now we can be made right with a perfect God. It's a beautiful picture, but it doesn't end there. Do you realize that his goal with all of that has always been to be in relationship and to dwell with you? Think about it. In the Garden of Eden, what did Adam do? He walked with God. They just meandering around the garden. Can you picture that? How cool would that be? And yet that's what's broken is that relationship. So what happens when he partners with Israel and they're in the wilderness for 40 years? He is with them in the Ark of the Covenant. They build a dwelling place, which is what the word tabernacle means, that where the most holy of holies would reside, where his presence would come in the morning, the evening, that he was there with his people. When they finally get to Jerusalem and the promised land, they build him a house. 
It's called the temple. That's literally what Beth El means, house of God. And they build him a house in the Ark of the Covenant is put in the Holy of Holies. Why? Because he wants to dwell with his people. When Jesus is crucified on the cross and the earthquake occurs and the temple curtain is torn in two, now his presence is no longer in a building, in a box. It's now in anybody that welcomes the spirit of God into their life. He will go where he is wanted. So you're like, well, well then how do I soften my soul? <laughs> How do I welcome him in? I'm gonna go old school for just a second. It's really clear throughout the book of Romans. One, to acknowledge that you're not perfect. Romans 3.23, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, know that he loves you anyway, even though you're the worst of sinners, Romans 5.8. And he offers eternal life to you. Romans 6.23, if you believe and receive his free gift, free gift. And the way you do that in Romans 10.9 is to confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. Repent of anything in your life that's not of him and that it's only because of the work of Jesus that you get to be with him. So if you're like, well, I would like to do that, but why is that really that important? I mean, I'm already going to heaven. Look, I think as American Christians, we miss out on what the good news of Easter is really about. It's not just that you get to go to heaven when you die. Yes, that is amazing. But it's also number two, you need him, but you also get to experience his power. Experience his power. Some people like, some be like Thor, some be like flying around, got power. No, like you get to see and experience him working in your life. Notice the E is underlined. Look what happens here because the Marys actually needed him and went to the tomb and pursued him back that they get to see and witness something that nobody else got to. I love this part of the verses. Look with me, verse two. There was a violent earthquake. Can you picture it? So they just woke up. It's dark outside still. There's a violent earthquake when they get there for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. So here's what I love. For thousands of years, he's waited for this moment, for the resurrection to occur. Finally, humanity can be right with the perfect God, live with him eternally, experience his power in their life. It's finally here. He could have done it in any way, right? Like he could have just had Jesus walk through the wall. He does that later on, remember in the upper room with Thomas? Why did he just walk through the wall? He waits until it's dark out and the Marys show up there and there's guards there. And then all of a sudden there's an earthquake and then a flash of light and an angel of the Lord, which is just a messenger comes down and he's all bedazzled, glitzed out. And he's sitting there on a rock like this. He could have chose any way to present himself and he chose to do it like the opening of a James Brown concert. Isn't that cool? Some of you young people, you're like, who's James Brown? He's the original Silk Sonic. Are you with me on that one? Come on now. Like, bam, pow, earthquake. All of a sudden, all bedazzled angels hanging there just sitting on a stone. What's up, Marys? I love it because he wants you to see something special just happen. Things can change now in people's lives because of the power of God that he is in the habit of taking broken people. If you're here today and you're like, nah, you don't understand. Like I've been in this way for so long. I've heard so many people. Do you, do you hear the conversation I had last night? The things I said, the, the, the lustful thoughts I've had, the horrible things I've done to people, the things I've drank, the things I've inhaled. There's no way I could ever be one of those good Christians. 
I think one of the worst things we ever did to Christianity was to boil it down in Western civilization to an ideology that's just a moralistic behavioral mentality to just teach us some rules and regulations of how to behave better. That is not what the good news of Jesus is about in the New Testament. Good moral behavior is great, but it's an outpouring of something much greater that when you repent and invite God into your life, you get to actually experience a life with God. And because he is working, he has the power and authority. Second Timothy 1.7, for God does not give us a, a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So if you're sitting here going, ah, no, I'd love to be one of those Christians, but that's never gonna happen because I got all this junk in my life. He has the power and the authority to change it. When I first was a young adult and gave my life over to Christ, I was pretty far from him. I, I really wanted nothing to do with him. I said this this morning, I didn't mean to, I actually, when I was 19, I, they, I didn't go to a Christian college and they offered an Old Testament class for some reason. And I remember thinking, who in the world would ever take that class? That has to be the worst class to take. I took that class a year later. Because when God comes in, he began to change things. And some of my friends were like, dude, what happened to you? Uh, you, you know, I didn't drink as much with some of my old friends. They were like, what's going on? They didn't like that part. But then they started seeing the positive changes of what, the, what God was doing to make me a healthier person. And he was, they were like, oh, we like that part though. And I want to tell you, no matter where you are, no matter how far you are from him, there's this moment, this bam, violent earthquake, pop, the boulder, the stone rolls away. Angels sitting there because God has the authority and the power to do anything in this world. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He created the world in six days. That's the power and authority that he has. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm too bad a person, have you read the Bible? Paul who writes a lot of the New Testament, used to, oh, he oversaw one of the first seven uh, deacons of the church. He killed Stephen. He was there when they stoned him. He's ripping Christians out of their home and imprisoning them as a religious terrorist because he is that bad of a guy. And he has one authentic encounter with the risen Jesus and it radically changes his life. He writes most of the New Testament and he plants churches all over the Roman Empire. Peter, <laughs> that guy like, makes so many bad decisions over and over again. He even denies Jesus three times right before he's going to be crucified. And yet God will use him and transform him in John 20 and 21. He gets to redeem himself and he'll go on to be an early leader for the church. Ruth went through all kinds of trauma and devastation, but she stuck with God in those hard times and allowed him to shape her. And she gets used to be in the lineage of Jesus. Esther, for such a time as that, had to respond to what God was doing in that moment and believe he had the power and authority to not only protect her, but to free their people. That when you allow God to work, he will go where he is wanted and he can and he does and he will change lives we've seen it time and time again and I don't know why we tell people you know you need to give your life to Christ so you go to heaven when you die yes that's totally true that's amazing and you should and heaven is real and God is real and his redemption is real and you can avoid it and do this your whole life I was a lot like Jonah remember Jonah keeps running from God he ends up being in the, the belly of a big uh, fish, not a whale, fish, all because he just ran away from God and he eventually gets the picture and he runs back. I ran away from God for about a year and a half in my life before I finally said enough is enough. You may have been running a lot longer, but he's never going to give up. 
He's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and pursue you till your last breath because he loves you that much. But he goes where he's wanted. If we open ourselves up, it's like uh, Mark Johnson said last night, our lead pastor in Anderson, God shakes us as he literally shakes the ground here so he can shape us. And maybe if you allow him, he could use some of those hard things in life to shape us into the person he created us to be. And what I find is most of us in our culture and kind of nominalistic Christianity, we're familiar with a story or a version of the story of what we've just shared, but we've never lived a surrendered life over to him that, that we don't understand the spiritual slumber that so many of us are in in this culture. See, in Ephesians chapter five, I love what Paul, this former religious terrorist says. He says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. When I get my kids up in the morning, uh, which at least it does it most of the time. But if I try and wake them up, here's what happens. If I go, I kind of shake them, nothing happens. If I'm like, Jake, Jake, wake up, Jake, Jake. It takes forever. If I turn the light on, open the, the blinds and the light all pours in, they're up like that. Any parents ever done that? There's something about the light, it just instantly wakes you up. And it says when you've been woken up by that, the light comes. And Mary and Mary here, when they see this moment, this flash of light as the angel of the Lord, all shiny and white comes down, it got to brighten up that dark sky that they had been in. And they will never be the same again because they've experienced God in his power and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And I want to tell you, I believe there are a lot of people in this room that are in spiritual slumber I've been there. I'm not pointing fingers. No guilt or shame, okay? We're not that place. But like a little kitten in the arms, you know, of our adversary, the enemy, the Hasatan, the Satan, that Satan just slowly, just kind of spiritually, like a little kitty, just kind of pats us, just slowly puts us to sleep. It's okay. You can't really change. Just Nothing you can do about the problems in our culture. You're always going to be this way. You can't do anything. Just get through this life. It's all going to be over. And it slowly puts us to spiritual slumber and sleep. And what Paul says is, because of the work of Jesus, wake up, O oh sleepers. Rise from your spiritual grave, because Christ shined on us. The lights came on at the resurrection. And we can never be the same again. And our only response, number three, is to worship him. Worship him. Notice the W is underlined. See, I believe so much that God wants to, that we don't need to be afraid of the good works of God and the new things he wants to do in our life to make you a new creation. I made the three points start with N-E-W. Do you know how hard that was? So that you could know because of the work of Jesus that you could be a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17, the old could be gone, the new could come. You could wake up from your spiritual slumber. It may have been for the last 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, I don't know, but I do know he's gonna pursue you and pursue you, but he goes where he's wanted. So until you open yourself up and turn to him and worship him, he will never come into your life the way that you want. And you will have this emptiness and this void that you will chase in other avenues. And you will go through so 
so many lustful relationships, so many ineffective habits, so many uh, you know, things that destroy us at work and at home and out in our social lives, thinking that those things are finally going to make us happy. And he says, worship me and let me make you new and give you the life that I created you for. As we close out, Matthew 28, verse 7. Then go quickly, he tells his disciples, when he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Their only response was to get down their hands on his feet and just worship him because they don't deserve to be in his presence because he is almighty and all powerful and all knowing. He resurrected from the grave. Do you know for the first 300 years of Christianity, they didn't use the cross as a symbol of our faith because that was the thing of shame. They couldn't get over the fact that he rose from the grave. That's the good news that they would spread to everyone. He has risen. He is alive. He's not there anymore. And the Roman government, nobody could explain it. They never found the bones, by the way. It would not be something that they could track down. They never found the bones. And so their only response here is to worship him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell the brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me. We all want God to solve our problems to help us maybe even go to heaven. But I want to tell you, he is worthy for you to surrender your life to him and worship him. that our call this morning is not just to come and you know, dress in nice pastels and go to brunch together afterwards, although I hope you've done that. Not even just to have a little egg hunt for the kids, but as to remember that he rose from the grave itself and that you get to live with him eternally in heaven. You get to experience his work now. There was an earthquake with the crucifixion when the temple curtain is torn in two. There's an earthquake at the resurrection because now he can actually be out in the world and be used in our life. He will go and present himself in Galilee to the disciples. He will ascend to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit, the advocate will be given to us that anybody that welcomes God into our life, his presence, his power will walk with us and you won't be perfect but you will get to experience of the one, the one who is. And for some of us today, we need to stop running away and start responding. If you want to know God and experience his power, you have to let him, and here's the hard part, totally wreck your life. We like it as a little add-on, but actually the heart of our faith in the New Testament is when he comes in, Paul was a person of authority in his culture. By giving his life to Jesus, he became an outcast. Each of the disciples had to give up so much to follow him. You have to pick up your cross daily and follow him. You don't just invite him in. You say, God, I give you the whole thing. Come in, ruin, wreck it. Build me from the ground up. I want to be a new creation. The old could be gone. The new could come. By the way, the words in the Greek and new creations, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we like to think it's like it makes us a more moral person or even like I was a little caterpillar that went into the cocoon of Christ and came out this beautiful butterfly. But that is not the heart of what the new creation in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is. It's that you were this little caterpillar that went into the cocoon with Christ and you came out a roaring lion a complete metaphysical change that they, they're like, they look at you and go, whoa, something's different. Something has radically changed in your life. 
And I remember the, the first time I used that analogy of God totally wrecking our life. And there was this young woman named Shelby. She came up afterwards. She's like, hey, this was on the College Avenue building back in the day. She's like, I just gave my life to Christ. I was like, that's awesome. High five. Thanks for coming. She's like, no, no, no. Like, this is a big deal. Like, I, like I'm going to totally let him wreck my life. I was like, sweet. That's awesome. High five. She's like, no, you're not getting it. Like, I got I to gotta change now. And she's like, I want to be baptized. Because baptism for us, you know, really signifies that you've given your life to Christ and you've let him totally ruin and wreck your life and he's gonna make you new. The old could be gone, the new could come. It represents that you have died with Christ and you have risen with him. And so I remember her sharing that and she's like, I wanna get baptized right now. And we had a horse trough back in the day. I was like, there's no way, we can't fill that thing up. We don't have time. And she's like, that's okay, go find something else. So we found this little plastic bucket I'm not making this up. We took it out into the parking lot and we filled it with water. And then she got into like a little ball, like a cannonball. And she just sat in that thing like this. And then we took another big plastic tub and we poured it onto her head and we baptized her right there in the parking lot of the engineering building we were meeting in. Because when God begins to break through, you can't stop it. And I think for some of you, he has been pursuing you so long. And the enemy just keeps trying to get you to just ignore it. Just go back to sleep. It's going to be all right. It's all going to be over soon. And you're going to miss it. And you're going to miss the incredible stories you get with following God in your life. And some of you think that he doesn't really have the power to do the things that we read about. Do you realize that right before that picture was taken, we had had our second birthday bash. This is when everything changed in our church. We, we, were, we baptized 12 people. Many of them we didn't anticipate to baptize in a horse trough in the lobby. And then afterwards we got done and we were singing Amazing Grace on an acoustic guitar. And I'm not making this up. All of a sudden the building shook that we were in. As if God was saying, I'm here. Everything's about to change. And you're like, that sounds like an awesome pastor spiritual moment. That's not what I thought. I thought we had an earthquake. I got on the, the little thing online because I was in California for all those years. Nope, no earthquake. And so then I told the engineering uh, firm, I was like, something's wrong with your building. Got to get a structural engineer out here. They checked the whole building. Nothing was wrong. To this day, I believe that God shook that building because everything was about to change. I think God's shaking some of you up in this room so he can shape you because everything's about to change. And you need to make it a choice, not later, not after brunch. You need to make it now and say, I'm going to give all this stuff up. I'm going to stop doing things the way I've been doing them, trying to achieve for my pleasure, for my will, for my purposes, and say, I want to live for your purposes, God. I want to have a story when I get to heaven rather than I just worked a good job, had some fun weekends, and then I died. And so I want to tell you here today, the greatest thing you could ever do with your life is to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Allow him to use you. Allow him to make an impact. And it doesn't matter if you're 100 years old or if you're seven years old in this room, he can and wants to do that. And he's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you, but he goes where he is wanted. And so if you open yourself up and invite him in, as we shared earlier, he will come into your life. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that, but I'm not just going to do that. We're also going to give you the opportunity to say, you know what? I want to follow him and I need a meanness today for those that you may have been a Christian a long time, but you've never been baptized. We filled this tank up this morning. I know you're in your Easter Sunday best and that pastel may run, but you know what? We're not here for comfortable Christianity. And some of you this morning, 
We've had almost every service, somebody in their clothes just choose to come and get baptized. And so we got a long worship set on the back end. We tried to warm the water up as best we could. We got lots of towels. We got a t-shirt for you afterwards. We'll figure it out, don't worry. But this matters for eternity and some of you are gonna choose to get in there and be baptized and worship him back to clasp his feet and say, I am fully yours. I'll end with this. As we do that, uh, Brooke is gonna come up here and, and lead us in a song. And it was really significant. We didn't plan this. And then I realized last night it was happening and I asked her if I could share this and she said, yes. Brooke was somebody that 11 years old started going from Noblesville down to Nashville to record. She was a recording artist in Nashville that sang, opened up at the Pacers Fieldhouse and other places for the national anthem when she was just a child, a kid, teenager. Then she put, had a band and she toured and she opened up for some big stars like Chenny Kesney. Kez, Who's Chenny Kesney? That's my favorite artist. <laughs> Kenny Chesney and other artists and began to build a notoriety. And she was, her last concert she ever did was about two and a half years ago. She was up in Wabash, Indiana at a big Harley Davidson thing. And she was uh, signing autographs for a number of kids while she was totally inebriated. And she had had an ongoing, because of the pressure, she had escaped with drugs and alcohol. She had been to 11 different rehabs. She tried all these different things and she would get back into it. And she was there signing autographs for kids while she's like that. She's talking to me about the shame she felt over that. She got up and sang and she had all this hatred for music because of that. She thought she had ruined her life and she ended up uh, going to prison for three months. And it was actually in prison that God totally wrecked her life and built her from the ground up again. And she came here last spring with Transformation Ministries, a great recovery program for women in Noblesville. She ended up uh, recommitting her life to Christ and got baptized at our Anderson location at the birthday bash in September. she still didn't want to sing. And in the last couple of months, God has begun to transform her enough that she was finally willing. She's got a great career now outside of music. God's doing such amazing things in her life. She even shared a restored relationship with her family, that God's now moving in her family. And that's how God works. He goes where he is wanted. If you invite him in, he's the power and the authority to transform you right where you're at. Please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to stop running to stop avoiding him, to stop escaping, to stop being put into that spiritual slumber all over again. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the grave and become the person God created you to be. I invite you to respond to this gospel message with me. God, I pray right now for every person in here, there is none of us that are perfect. God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there are only those who have the humility to admit that, that we can invite you in and to receive your forgiveness, God. And I know there are many of us here that need that. Some of us have been Christians so long, but we have strayed and we have gone away. Some of us have never really given our life over to you. So whether for the first time or whether to recommit our life fully to you, we're gonna surrender everything right now to you. You ready to do this? 
to say, I want to be a new creation, God. The old is gone. The new has come. If you want to do that with me and pray with me here in a moment, I'm going to invite you to take the brave step. I'm not going to make you do anything out loud with every eye closed and every head bowed to raise your hand and say, yes, I want new life with Christ. I'm not going to be afraid of it. You ready? One, Jesus loves you. Two, he's not done with you. Three, he welcomes you home with loving arms and wants to receive you with the grace and mercy he created you for. If that's you in the room, raise it high. I, I see the, the, there's four or five of you right there. Praise God for that. Let me look over here. I see you right there. Thank you. Thank you down front here. And whether for the first time or recommit, I'm missing a couple over here. Thank you. God knows what's going on in your life. I'm not going to make you do anything. I promise. Yes, I see the two in the back. Wow. I don't know what is going on. Praise God for that. I see the young person in the back there as well. Thank you for that. Oh, I missed you over here. Thank you. And you right here. Thank you. Okay. You can, you can put those down now. And then I want you to pray this with me. Ready? Wow. Praise God. Pray this. God, I know that I need you. I want to experience you in my life. I want to worship you right now. And so I repent of anything. That just means do a 180. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And I surrender everything in my life to you, Lord Jesus. I confess this with my lips. I receive you in my life both eternally and walk with me now. I am fully yours, Lord Jesus. God, thank you for those people. We worship you. We give you our lives. We remember that when you rose from the grave, it was for us and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's family said, amen, amen. Man, can we celebrate that God is moving in people's lives? And I just want to...